This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome to Illuminate. I'm Rob Gurth, Director of Marketing Communications for Lehigh University's College of Business. And today is October 15th, 2021. And we're talking with Philip Coles about how disturbances in the supply chain are going to affect the holiday season. Phil is a professor of practice in the Decision and Technology Analytics Department at Lehigh Business. He has an MBA from Lehigh and an MS from Cornell. And Phil has over 30 years of industry experience, including being vice president of strategic management at a multi-million dollar produce company. Welcome, Phil. Hello, how are you? I'm good. So let's start with what we're facing. Right now, when we go to the store, we're seeing less product and we're seeing it selling at higher prices. We're talking about everything from Halloween costumes to artificial Christmas trees to toys. And people, the story, you know, on the news channels are all about the toys, but it's not just toys, right? No, it's not just toys. There's a lot of different things that are being uh, affected throughout all the different supply chains. But there is supply and there is demand, right, for these things, even for the toys. They've made the toys. That's not the problem. So how does the supply chain part of this figure into it? Well, it, it depends on what, what kind of industry you're talking about, right? So the toys, yes, they've been made. 85% of toys come from China and they're sitting in uh, warehouses in China. They're uh, sitting in ships off the coast of uh, uh, California. They're sitting in warehouses uh, right outside of the ports that are in California. Some of them are being shipped to other ports uh, around the country because they can't take them uh, through the, the port, of La, uh, port of Los Angeles. There's a general problem with uh, ports on the, on the West Coast uh, just because of the volume that's trying to come through there. There's also other issues in supply chain too because you've got the, the operation standpoint. Uh, for example, automobile sales are, are done significantly uh, because of uh, chip shortages. So, it, so with the toys, it's a shipping issue. When you're talking about automobiles, it's actually a production issue because of chip shortages. And some of it is manpower issues, right? As far as any of these products, but particularly the toys that we're talking about. Yeah, there's shortages of, of labor and it's for various reasons. Some of it's because people have been sick due to the pandemic. They're not able to go to work. There's sometimes it's the, uh, the government, uh, whether it's in China or, or in the US, uh, forced them to shut down because they're concerned about transmission of the virus. Uh, there's people that are afraid to go to work because of the virus. There's people that can't go to work because they don't have childcare. And there's also a problem with people that um, uh, aren't working because uh, they're able to get uh, extended uh, unemployment benefits and they don't need to work. So there's a lot of different things that are driving the labor shortages uh, throughout the world. Again, not just in the U.S. or China. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So it isn't just our country, right? That It's all over the world. Absolutely. When did the problem first show it's like when did people start panicking i guess <laughs> about the holiday season in particular like when did people start figuring that out that hey looks like there's going to be a problem how how long have we known about this well the general public hasn't known about it as long uh for that long but the the people in the industry know and this is a this is a common problem these are trade-offs that we make in our supply chains so one of the issues a lot of people conflate and, and for whatever reason uh, lean manufacturing with uh, globalization. And they're actually the opposite of each other. And, and with lean manufacturing, you're trying to 
uh, reduce inventory, particularly in process inventory. So when you think about a long supply chain, you've got something coming from, say, Shanghai uh, to the United States. It's a very long supply chain. You've got a lot of inventory that's on the water. So we don't we think about it as shipping, but it's it's also a, a way to hold inventory. It's not intentional, but there's inventory that's on the ships uh, that are coming over. So people in business they make a trade-off, right? There, there, there's truly no right answer. Everything is about trade-offs. What risks are we willing uh, to take on for whatever possible gains that we can get from it? So if you can get products for less price or a better quality from somewhere far away, you say, okay, the risks of that long supply chain uh, are, are worth it. So most of the time it works out really well. But when you get these shocks to the supply chain and, and you've got a lot more risk with a long supply chain because a lot of things can happen, it can, it can cause these disruptions. And we always know that there's the possibility. It's just that it rarely happens. So we need to be prepared for when these things happen. And this was really something uh, that kind of came out of left field. Nobody could anticipate this. But it's always difficult for the Christmas season because you've got to order almost a year in advance. And, you know, it's hard to have a really good crystal ball and, and know what's going to happen within the next year. If you could order it today for tomorrow, it would be relatively easy. But when you've right. got to order a year in advance, that really uh, brings in a lot of risk. So what kind of pressures are, are the various industries in as far as trying to fix this fast? Well, the, the, the scrutiny is unhappy customers, right? right so right. Uh, Sam Walton uh, said it the best. The customer can shut you down tomorrow by um, just not buying your product. So they're in a panic, right? So I always say to my students, the best way to go out of business is to not match your supply with demand. If you've got a lot of demand and, and you can't supply it, you're out of business and you got a lot of supply and you have no demand, you're out of business. So trying to match those two things up uh, are very difficult. And just knowing what the problem is, isn't enough, right? You can say, well, uh, I could have had it, but it's this other guy's fault. Well, that's great. They can, they're going to write that on your tombstone, right? <laughs> you know why you went out of business. Uh, but um, a lot of organizations, uh, Walmart is doing this, and so is um, uh, Home Depot, is they're getting their own ships, and they're getting smaller ships, and they're bringing them to smaller ports uh, and, and try to find alternative ways to bring things in. And um, it costs more to do that, but at least you're able uh, to get the products. And that's one of the reasons why things like price controls are, are so dangerous because it doesn't allow uh, businesses to do what they have to do uh, to bring the products in. And we, we try to control those prices artificially, we're gonna uh, exacerbate shortages. And you talked about how the pandemic is exposing problems. Like it's it's no, it's one of the things people have been saying about the pandemic from the beginning. Yeah, that company went out of business, but it was going out of business anyway. The pandemic just sped up the timeline. So what portion of the supply chain problem that we have now, can we blame on the pandemic or is it to be blamed? And you started to touch on a little bit earlier. Is it to be blamed on just how the system is. Yes. Well, you, you always have the weak players go out whenever you've got some kind of a shock, whether it's low prices, um, 
shortage issues or, or what have you. The, the, the better players are making more money in good times than the weaker players. Uh, but then when prices go down or there's not as many sales or whatever it's happening, that's when you're going to see uh, the weak players go out. And that's also where you get the, uh, the people that have the, the short-term horizons, right? So we, we, we talk about sometimes uh, companies making uh, or the management of companies making uh, poor decisions. Well, sometimes they make that decision to say, well, I could save a lot of money by not having um, uh, fire insurance on my, on my company. And you do really great because you don't have the insurance uh, and until you have a fire, then you wish you had had the insurance. So any kind of risk management, that's what insurance is. It's risk management um, is, is part of doing that. So if you're, you're flying without doing risk management, you're taking uh, on, on a, lot of, uh, a lot of risk. So the simplest thing to do that everybody thinks of and everybody thinks is, is the issue is to have some uh, extra inventory. But uh, it's much more important to have a flexible, responsive supply chain and do risk management where you have alternative suppliers and you have uh, alternative um, uh, products uh, that you can use to replace them. Like I like to use the example of uh, when there was a copper shortage in the 1970s and you couldn't get enough wire, uh, copper wire, they went to aluminum wire. So the companies that are having issues and, 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 and I don't want to make it sound like, like this would have been easy. Right? Nobody knew there was going to be a pandemic and then all the responses that happened. Right? This is very difficult. I want to make sure that, that I make that uh, apparent. But you always know that something's going to happen. You didn't know the virus was going to happen. We didn't know that the financial system was going to lock up in 2008. Uh, but you know, something is going to happen. So that's why you have to make sure you have, like I say, alternative suppliers and other sorts of uh, uh, risk management in place. And there were also a lot of mistakes that were made. Uh, so for example, in the automobile industry, everybody assumed that the economy was going to be really bad. Nobody's going to be buying cars. They told the chip manufacturers, yeah, we got plenty of, we have plenty of stuff. Uh, we have plenty of chips uh, because uh, sales are going to be down and it turns out they were wrong mm -hmm. and sales went up and then the, the chip manufacturers had already uh, switched over uh, to producing chips for mobile devices and that sort of thing that are more profitable. So they got them in trouble. They made their, their crystal ball wasn't as clear as they thought. And so the, the length of the supply chain is part of the problem. If if what if what if everything was made in America, like would that solve the supply chain problem? My follow up question is, why won't that happen? <laughs> well, it, it won't happen because there's the trade offs. Right. So why is it that we get 85 percent of our toys from uh, China rather than produce them here? It's because they can produce uh, higher quality and or lower costs. Mm. So if you were, you know, I, I was like the, uh, the, the there's a show called um, Doomsday Preppers. So okay. yeah, the, they've, the, the sky falls and, and the world comes to an end, those people will be prepared, right? <laughs> but, but at what cost, right? right. <laughs> That's the other side of it, right? So you're giving up uh, the division of labor that uh, and the advantages that we have from globalization where people are doing 
whatever it is that they're the best at, that they can uh, give the best price. So there's a very, very high cost uh, to producing everything in the United States. So think about uh, people then would then be producing toys. And we say, okay, well, that's great. We're, we're producing all these uh, jobs, but we already have a labor shortage. So where are we going to get the people to produce the toys? Well, they're going to have to come out of other industries unless we can get, uh, you know, people that are retired or in school, uh, you know, have a reason that they're not working uh, to start producing the toys. And that that's fairly unlikely. So, uh, we would, would we take it from automobile production? Do we really want to give up automobile production uh, to produce toys, right? And, and, and there's no uh, grand wizard that are making these decisions for us. These are all decisions we're making uh, in our lives, day-to-day uh, -day lives that we're, we're choosing the, the place that we want to work based upon, you know, what the salary is uh, and all the other things that, that, that go with making a decision uh, to... Uh, choose the job that we do. So yes, we could produce all those things ourselves, but what would we be giving up? And the, the cost would be much higher and, and very likely the, the quality lower because we've got people that are good at producing one thing that are now trying to produce something that they're not necessarily as good at. So answer the question that is, is on everybody's mind, can we save Christmas, Phil? Well, you know, this is nothing new, just to put it in perspective. Um, in 1983, the Cabbage Patch. Ah, I remember it well. Remember this? I yeah, do. But, right? In, in 1982, we were mired in a recession. Nobody imagined uh, what kind of a recovery we would have in 1983. It came roaring back. Again, long supply chains. They thought, okay, we've got a we've got an order for Christmas of uh, 1983, and it's right. It's it's early 1983, almost a, a year ahead of time. And they thought the economy is going to be bad. They didn't order enough. And, and all, there are all these conspiracy theories out there that they thought, okay, we have a shortage of cabbage patch kid dolls because they want the prices to be higher. And right. now they just screwed up. Uh, they didn't know their crystal ball wasn't that good. So I bring that up for some perspective, right? So if we compare what's happening in the supply chains to perfect, uh, it's horrible, you know, and you compare anything to perfect and it's horrible. But if we compare how we've done in the past and take into consideration these tremendous shocks that our supply chains have taken, it's amazing that we have anything, right? And it's really <laughs> a trip to uh, uh, how well they're doing. So we're going to have stuff for Christmas. You might not be able to get the, the exact thing that you want. You might not be able uh, to get it for the price that you want, but you're going to be able to get something. And some people may be able, may uh, have to be a little creative. And I remember one of the things people were doing, they were, uh, they had little tiny uh, cabbage patch dolls that were like just the face and a flower and things like that. And they would give it to their kids and uh, with the promise of getting the real thing after Christmas and January, February, they all started showing up. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be okay. I think uh, we'll be a few disappointed people, but overall, I think we'll survive. And, and saving Christmas isn't just about the toys, right? It's, it's about, it's really about, like you had said earlier, the companies that don't produce right now, they're the ones that are in danger of going out of business. And then of course, if they go out of business, then people lose their jobs and you know, that's, that's the cycle we could fall into. So saving Christmas isn't just toys. Well, yes, absolutely. Right. So I mentioned car sales, right? The typically car sales 
or like 18, 19 million, and this is in the United States uh, per year, we're running now less than 13 million. So yeah, um, we're kind of okay in the sense that there's a worker shortage, but it is a little scary thinking, you know, if this continues, it could cascade uh, through the economy and people could lose their jobs, absolutely. The key is letting markets work and, and letting these things uh, uh, sort themselves out. And let me quote um, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who said, some of this is bigger picture, longer term issues that's gonna take years and years to address, but it goes to the very foundations of how, we, how trade works. But what we're seeing is that piled up next to the issue created by the recovery from the pandemic. So he's saying things are going to be, there's some endemic problems and there's some problems that are exasperated by the pandemic. Is there, are we headed to normal anytime soon or is there, is there a new normal? Well, I, I always warn people about listening to experts, right? So maybe <laughs> I fall into that category. <laughs> as long um, as you're aware of that, that's okay. Yeah, no, very aware of it. Um, <laughs> When the iPhone came out, uh, I remember thinking, who'd want to go on the internet on their phone? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I don't feel too bad because Steve Ballmer, who was the uh, CEO of Microsoft, said the same thing. So I figured I'm in good company. So, um, you know, it's like that old cliche um, uh, prediction, uh, predictions are hard to make, uh, particularly when they're about the future. So, I always like to say, you know, take anything like this as a grain of salt. So, I mean, I, I don't know how long it'll take. What I do know is most of these problems are self-inflicted, right? So we made the decision to shut down our economy uh, because of the, the virus and the, and the pandemic, right? And that's a whole other discussion, whether it should or should not have been done. But it wasn't like uh, an, an energy shock or... Um, financial system meltdown typically would cause recessions uh, in the past. We, we, this was a, a, a choice that we made. So, uh, and, and it was things that you can see several things happening here, right? Again, the, the, the government doled out a lot of money. Uh, at the same time, when we weren't allow, allowing people to, to go to work or to go to restaurants, so they weren't able to, to do anything in the service sector. So they started buying a whole lot more stuff when we weren't making a whole lot of stuff. So we increased a lot of artificial demand. So then a lot of things were coming from overseas that jammed up the ports. And one thing I wanna point out about whenever you have these ships that get backed up, right? Ships are supposed to be for transportation, but they end up being inventory. So the ship is no longer doing uh, uh, transportation. So typically, I believe the time is uh, for a ship uh, to, to go between uh, Asia and the uh, West Coast. And I believe it's a round trip uh, is around 14 weeks. And I believe it's up around 40 weeks. Wow. And that's because it's waiting um, at the port to become unloaded. So again, you now turned your ship into a warehouse mm -hmm. and it's sitting there. And so now you've lost capacity to ship and demand is up and, and they're backing up. And we're, when we need transportation, we're losing transportation. And the same thing is, is happening with uh, on the other side of it, 
with the trucks, even the materials, the, you know, the, the toys and things we talked about, whatever it is, mobile devices are sitting in warehouses in California because they've managed to get the ships unloaded and now they don't have truck drivers to drive the trucks to then deliver them uh, to the stores. So there's a lot of pieces to this. And it's a lot like, right, we, we've all been in uh, traffic jams and the traffic will stop and then it starts going again and we don't know why it's moving. <laughs> and we expect to see an accident on the other side. And sometimes we do and we say, oh, well, that's why there was a traffic jam. Very often we get the other side. It's like, well, what was that about? We didn't see anything. And all that was, was a slug that's created that goes through the entire uh, line of cars and it works the exact same way in the supply chain. It's like somebody tapping the brakes. So one of these things that go wrong, like you can't unload a ship, uh, you, you don't have enough truck drivers and these things start backing up just like cars on a highway. And that goes throughout the whole system. And it takes a while for that uh, uh, to go through and, and finally clear itself. Now, I got to point out. But it'll do it if we don't do anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to point out, because you said you don't like to be, uh, you don't like to predict things. But I do have to point out that there was an editorial this week in the Wall Street Journal, and I'll spare you the reading of it. But it basically talked about what the White House was doing, what the Fed was doing, and how that was causing the problems. And you and I had a conversation and emailed back in March. And you made... Basically, you could have written this editorial back in March. You, you actually wrote this editorial back in March that was very similar to what uh, appeared in the Wall Street Journal just this week. So you got to give yourself a little bit of credit for uh, being able to predict things that were going to happen. But is there, um, is there a government solution, though, because of the, the state of things that are happening? Can the government step in and fix it? Or is it just too toxic at the moment for anybody to get together and try to work something out. Well, you know, to, to, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, uh, right, the scariest words in the English language, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, you know, what is it that, that makes us think that um, they actually know anything about it, right? So there's the people that are in supply chain that work for Walmart, that work for these uh, the ports for, for the ships, that these people do this every day. Uh, and they're very good at it. So going back to what, I, what we talked about in March, there are, um, there's always a limiting factor, right? There's something that holds back the economy. And the limiting factor I like is the labor shortage. And, and from a business standpoint, that sounds like heresy. But that means that everybody's employed and has a lot of leverage and can get their salaries raised, right? So everybody's doing really well. If the shortage is energy or the shortage is money that the Fed's not producing enough money or something like that, we end up with unemployed people and uh, businesses uh, uh, going out of business. So the, the key is the limiting factor. So what is the limiting factor that's produce, producing shortages? And the limiting factor is lack of truck drivers. The limiting factor is lack of workers. Uh, working in the warehouses and unloading the ships. Uh, the, the limiting factor is you can't get the, the, the ships um, in, into the docks to, to, to be unloaded. So they're suggesting things like leaving the ports open uh, 24 hours a day, but they don't have people to work in them 24 hours a day. They're not even filling the slots uh, that they have now. So Things that sound like the, the, the obvious things to do very, are not, uh, very often are not. 
you got to look at what the uh, the limiting uh, factors are. So that's why I think it's it's important to allow markets to work and, and the people that know what they're doing uh, in these areas, because, you know, it's kind of the problem we had before where when we when we had the uh, the recession, this last recession, it was because the government shut us down, right? So it was a decision that they made. So what we needed was people to be able to go back to work. And you can say, well, we don't want people to go back to work because of the pandemic. And I get that. But that was the problem. We had a worker shortage. And so the Fed starts printing money. We didn't, we didn't have a money shortage. That was not the limiting factor. And it's the same thing that's happening here is the, the, we, we got to focus on uh, what the limiting uh, factor is. So it's generally uh, better for the government to stay out of it. The regulations usually cause issues and, and that's some of the new regulations is, is what's been causing truck driver shortages also. And you can say that they're good regulations, right? Some relate to safety and all that sort of thing. And I, and I, and I get that. But, you know, truck drivers have a vested interest in safety also. Uh, they're the ones driving the trucks, right? They're the ones that are, are going to get hurt. So that, that's a wider discussion. But um, one thing we do know is that free markets work. That's what's given us all the, the, the wealth that we have. Um, uh, we're, we're pretty good at uh, doing what our, whatever our respective jobs are. Are there other things besides shortages we should worry about, like, like extreme weather, um, is, is there anything that you see in your crystal ball, which is a pretty good one, I think, um, that we should be concerned with? A absolutely. We, we should always be concerned with all the risks to supply chain, right? So uh, one of the, the big things that we didn't talk about is the, the trade war uh, that's been raging for uh, quite a while uh, between uh, the United States and China. So again, that's government uh, intervention that's causing disruptions. So if you're a business person and you're dealing with somebody uh, overseas and suddenly you're not allowed to deal with them anymore, it becomes expensive to deal with them, uh, that's a big shock. Again, you can argue, okay, well, we need to do this for um, national security reasons or whatever. I'm not saying that those things don't matter, they do. Those are the trade-offs that I talked about before. There's no right answer. Uh, it, it, so somebody argued for a trade uh, barrier from China and say, well, for this reason, right? But it's still going to hurt on the other side of it, right? That's like us being the, the doomsday prefer, preppers. There's a big price uh, to being that, um, that independent. So that's the balance of all these things. So I guess from that standpoint, that is it's absolutely a, a, an area for government to be involved, right? If there's a national security issue um, or something like that, but I'm just saying that we need to minimize it. But going back to what we were saying before, weather is the biggest issue that we have um, in risk management with supply chains. Most disruptions come from weather. So a longer supply chain something that's coming from further away, it, there's more things that can happen in between, whether it's hurricanes and, and other weather events or other natural disasters like, uh, like earthquakes or, or even fires. Um, those are all the things you have to take into consideration whenever you're, uh, you're doing uh, risk management. And is there any long-term consequences for the consumer for this this? particular moment in time are there are there do you see changes happening that are going to be well there's going to be fewer discounts there's going to be less sales there's going to be less choices 
Yeah, I, I think long term, there's going to be a benefit because this is like anything. Whenever we're, we get caught off guard and things don't go well, we always learn from that. Um, when I was working in the private sector, there, there's many examples that I could give you that, that I got burned. And when you get burned, those things, uh, they stick with you, right? So the consumer's not happy because uh, he or she's paying a higher price or can't get a particular item that, uh, that they want. So that's going to be an issue for them. But think about from the, the business perspective, uh, the business person lost the sale, and that, that really sticks uh, with us as business people, or we had to, the, the pay uh, a high price for something. So I had a commodity that I used to buy that was always $35 a ton. And it very suddenly went to $180 a ton. And I was so upset and it still bothers me. And <laughs> I went out and I found alternative materials uh, because nobody was ever gonna do that to me again. And whenever there were fluctuations, uh, I made sure that, um, that I was ready for the next time. So we learn and our supply chains will be uh, more resilient uh, uh, for having had this experience uh, because, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're getting our street cred from it. Well, that's a good uh, up holiday place to end this, Phil. So thank you very much. Thanks for all your help today. Good. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. My guest was Phil Coles. When he's not teaching, Phil is assisting companies to increase efficiencies through improved plant layouts and balancing of assembly lines in addition to aiding greenfield startups and company expansions. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business Thought Leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news and follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. Thanks for listening. <laughs>